Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Hey there, Bible Center family. Welcome back. It's so great to have you with us today. Thank you for being a part of our services. I'm Matt. I'm the lead pastor. If we haven't yet had the chance to meet, I look forward to meeting you very soon. You know, I was thinking this week about how uncertain life really is. Think about your life. Think about how many things are uncertain. In a world of doubts and questions, very few things are guaranteed. Jobs vanish as companies downsize. The volatility of the stock market, the fluctuation of the economy, the uncertainty of politics all feed this reality. Relationships come and go, especially in a day and age when people's faithfulness often lasts only as long as their felt needs are being met or until they find someone who is more attractive or more exciting. On a larger scale, we think about the natural disasters and the uncertainty that they create. Things like earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and fires and floods and pandemic. In, in, a, in one fell swoop, an, an entire lifetime of hard work can be lost. Think of all the money we spend on insurance. Now, I have insurance. Our insurance agent attends our church. I've known him for uh, probably almost 20 years. I have insurance. You have insurance. But think about what we spend to protect what we have. I read this week about some unique insurance policies. Did you know that you can actually purchase alien abduction insurance? There's actually a falling Sputnik insurance. One Dutch winemaker insured his nose for $7.8 million. He pays $2,000 a month premium to insure his nose. Now, this, if anything, this past year has taught us that life is uncertain. On Monday evening, we received a call that one of our ladies in her 40s, who'd been sick for some time and, and just discovered that it was COVID, unexpectedly passed away due to complications of COVID-19. It's one of those calls that you never want to get as a pastor, when you think about the people that you love and how they're growing in the faith and how they're moving forward for Jesus and, and this wrecks a family, probably more than ever, it's a, I'm aware that life is uncertain. Thankfully, God's word tells us that assurance of salvation is possible. That if all the things that are uncertain we can be certain about our salvation. And so today we're continuing our seven-part series entitled, Are You Certain? I want you to know that you know that you know you are born again. I think about 1 John 5, 13, one of the theme verses of this entire book. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. I believe this series is important for a lot of reasons. I'm convinced that this series that we're in is important for you. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I, I pray that you become a follower of Jesus today. Jesus brought you here. Jesus has you watching or listening to this message. I pray that you become a follower of Jesus today. If you're a Christian who lacks assurance or confidence, I pray that God uses this message to give you great assurance and great confidence in your faith. 
If you've been taught some some incorrect teaching, some false doctrine about this matter of eternal security, I pray that God would use this message to help uh, calm your heart and give you the confidence you need that's based on the Word of God. In this inspired letter, the book of 1 John, John gives us about seven birthmarks of a Christian. He gives us seven evidences of someone who's put their faith in Jesus. The first evidence is that they have a relationship with Jesus. The second evidence that we looked at weeks ago is that genuine Christians are eager to confess and change when we sin. Genuine Christians desire to know God above all else. Genuine Christians will persevere in our faith to the end. The fifth birthmark or evidence that we looked at just last weekend was that genuine Christians possess a new kind of sacrificial love. If you've missed any of the messages, I would encourage you to check them out on the app. You can go to the Bible Center app or BibleCenterChurch.com. They're all there, along with the message notes. There is so much more on the message notes that we don't have time to cover in this sermon. I would encourage you to study those. Click on those verse links. Go deep in God's Word this week. If you like to read, I'm going to encourage you to pick up this book, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart, How to Know for Sure You're Saved by J.D. Greer. It's a wonderful book. Maybe you have uh, asked Jesus over and over and over again, Lord, if I'm not a Christian, please save me. And what this author is trying to do is to show from God's word that you don't have to live like that. God doesn't want you to live like that. But we're going to look today at the sixth piece of evidence, and that is this message is entitled Certain Trust. We're going to see how that genuine believers have this new gift of faith. We have a certain trust for the Lord that marks us the moment we become Jesus' followers. Today's message is very easy to follow. I'm going to give you one thing to know and three things to do. One thing to know and three things to do. Let's go ahead and jump in. Here's the big idea. The big idea is this. We can be sure of our salvation if we're still trusting Jesus. We can be sure of our salvation if we're still trusting Jesus. There's a number of ways to say this. We can be sure of our salvation if we trusted Jesus yesterday and we still trust him today. Assurance of salvation comes not from the fact that we trusted Jesus in the past, but that we're trusting Jesus in the present. The proof of salvation comes not from a prayer in the past, but from the posture of faith in the present. We can have assurance of salvation if we're trusting Jesus for salvation, transformation, and restoration. And so again, the big idea, we can be sure of our salvation if we're still trusting Jesus. That really sums up the verses we're going to look at today. Let's go ahead and dive into 1 John chapter 5, verses 1-13. through 13. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Here in verse 1 of chapter 5, John begins to review all that we've learned so far in this little epistle of 1 John. So far, what we've covered from chapter 1 through chapter 4, John's going to summarize it here in the first few verses of chapter 5. Here we see that true, authentic, genuine Christians believe rightly about Jesus. 
They know that he's the Messiah, the son of God, the ancient promised one, God in the flesh. He's the son of God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the second person of the Trinity who came to earth to die and rise again to accomplish salvation for sinners. If you're taking notes, here's a really important point to grasp. Christians are not Christian just because we believe in something. Christians are not Christians just because we believe in something, but Christians are Christians because we believe Jesus is Lord. Because we believe the message of 1 John 5, 1, we believe that Jesus Christ is born of God. Other places that Jesus is Lord, we have assurance of our salvation. Now, the last part of verse 1 reminds us of what we learned last weekend, and that is that genuine Christians not only love the Father, but we love the Father's children. We love the people of God. On a grander scale, God has given us love for the world, love for humanity. Verse 2, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. Genuine faith produces love, which results in obedience. The present tense verb indicates that our love and obedience are to be continuous. Though they aren't our perfection, they are our direction. Love and obedience for the Christian, they're not our perfection, but they are our direction. In other words, we don't have them mastered yet, but we do desire to grow in love and obedience if we're saved. We can know that we are God's children when all the marks are working together. So in other words, mere love or human affection, friendship, and philanthropy alone are not enough for assurance of salvation. For John, loving others cannot be separated from the other aspects of the family relationship. We can't pull out love and separate it from the other birthmarks that we've looked at so far in this series. For John, all these things exist together to some measure or they don't exist at all. He's already said that we cannot claim to be Jesus' disciple without love, but here he's claiming the opposite. He's claiming the converse truth. We cannot point to our love, our human affection, our friendship, our philanthropy as assurance of our salvation if we're leaving out the other three. And so for John, all all these aspects are inseparable to our assurance. One note just to point out here about when it says true believers love God and carry out his commands. We desire to carry out his commands. We know we don't do it perfectly. 1 John chapter 1 reminds us of that. But again, that's our direction, not perfection. But this idea of commands, if you're taking notes, it's important to realize that John is talking about the new covenant commands in the New Testament, the New Testament commands of Jesus. You see, we are living in the new covenant age. We're under a new covenant. We're not under the the authority of the Mosaic covenant any longer. And so because of that, we obey. We go to the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, the book of Luke, John. We go right on through the New Testament, and that's where we get our standards or commands for living. Because we're New Covenant believers, we appreciate the Old Testament, and there's much of the Old Testament that doesn't include the Mosaic Covenant, but we don't, we're not under the authority of Moses, 
There were 606, 600 and, and over 613 laws in the Old Covenant. We're not under those laws. We're under the New Covenant. And now many of those laws have been repeated. For instance, when God says don't murder in the Old Covenant, He repeats that in the New Covenant. Jesus takes it up a notch and even says, not only do I not want you to murder, I don't want you to hate. I don't want you to be hateful and bitter. So we obey the New Covenant commands. 1 John 5, 3. In fact, this is love for God to keep His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. The word burdensome here is heavy. John is saying that genuine believers, we want to obey God. If we're tempted to think that love and obedience commanded of Christians is somehow beyond our ability, this verse comes as a welcome source of strength and encouragement. Jesus doesn't want us weighed down with legalism and pointless traditionalism or even hundreds of laws given to Moses but not repeated for us in the New Testament. I like what John Piper says, what you desire to do with your whole heart is not burdensome to do. Verse 4, John says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcome that has overcome the world even our faith. Only the one who believes in the truth about Jesus is born of God. Only those who are born of God are overcomers, and only those who believe in Jesus Christ are born of God. If you're a Christian, you are an overcomer. In other words, according to John's epistle, if you're a follower of Jesus, God is in the process of transforming you so that you can say no to the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. God is forming you to obey, but more than obey, to love God and to love others. Something interesting is about this word, overcomes, or overcome, or even the word victory, those words are all from the same Greek word that we get our word Nike, Nike. And so John loves this word. It was one of his favorites. In the New Testament, John uses this Greek word Nike 24 times. Now, Nike had nothing to do with shoes in John's day, per se, but Nike had to do with the goddess of victory. And John here is being a good missionary. He's using a concept from the culture that he can use to teach some greater truth. And so the Lord is reminding us that Jesus was victorious over Satan. Therefore, we as believers can be victorious over Satan through Christ. One day we'll be victorious over death. We'll be victorious over defeat. You say, Matt, how do we do that? How is this possible? Let's look back at verse 4. The way that we have victory, the way we overcome the world, is through our faith. We are overcomers through ongoing faith in Christ. And the fact that we have ongoing faith in Christ is the way we can have assurance of salvation. I love the words of the song. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, a helper he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. 
Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who this may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. The Lord of hosts, his name. From age to age the same. He must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fail him. Thankfully, we have that victory through Jesus Christ. Verse five, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So here he's saying that faith in Christ is absolutely essential to the gospel. It is essential to salvation. Without understanding, without defending, without believing this truth, the church will die and fade away. I love what Adrian Rogers said. Faith in faith is just positive thinking, but faith in Jesus is salvation. In verse six, he's gonna tell us a little bit more about Jesus here in verse six. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. A couple of things to point out about this verse, this idea of the one who came. He's reminding us, he's being emphatic about Jesus. Jesus is the one. I mean this with no disrespect or irreverence, but just like in our language, we might say, hey, that guy's the man or she's the woman. We're being emphatic. That's what John is doing here. He's saying, this is the one. The one is Jesus Christ. But he also says that Jesus came which reminds us the wording here isn't just that Jesus is born, but that Jesus left somewhere and came to our earth. That's exactly what the scriptures teach, that Jesus wasn't born just like any other human being, but the, the, the virgin born, the virgin conceived Christ. Yes, he experienced, Mary experienced natural childbirth, but it truly was this conception of God himself. Jesus, according to Philippians chapter two, left the throne of heaven. Jesus came and walked the dusty streets of Israel for 30 some years. Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus ultimately died on a cross. Now, when we're talking about the water and the blood, there's, there's no real consensus among scholars about what this means. There are three or four different opinions about what it means, and you can look in your notes on the app. I've given you all four of those opinions, and I probably lean towards the third or maybe the fourth opinion in the interpretation. But one thing is for sure, even though it's a little vague to us, some 1,900 years later, John's original readers would have clearly understood this message. He was using terminology and phraseology to combat whatever the false teachers were teaching. It's important for us to know this. As soon as we reduce the death of Jesus and minimize Jesus as being just a mere man and not God, we lose the cardinal point of the New Testament doctrine of the atonement 
that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In the final analysis, the doctrine of atonement means that God himself bears our sins and shows that the final reality in the universe is his sin-bearing, pardoning love. If Jesus is not the Son of God, his death no longer has significance. And this is what the Spirit is pointing to in the Gospels. This is what the Spirit is pointing to really from cover to cover in the Bible, which is why John mentions it's the Spirit who testifies of the truth. Verses 7 and 8 say this, For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Now, personally, I would interpret the water to refer to Jesus' water baptism, the blood to refer to Jesus' death. Essentially, the way I understand this passage is he is saying that Jesus is the Christ before his baptism, and Jesus is the Christ after his death, which wasn't what the false teachers were teaching. But he says these three, including the Spirit, are in agreement. Now, why would John make this point? It just seems a a little odd to us. And the reason he does that is because in Roman law, Greco-Roman law, and Jewish law, the threefold witness was considered to be ironclad. If you had a threefold witness, if you had three witnesses to anything, that was going to be a case that was hard to beat. Verse 9, he says this, We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Verse 10 goes on to say, Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. In other words, the overarching tone of a genuine Jesus follower is one of faith. Faith characterizes true believers. The Spirit of God applies the Word of God to the child of God so we can know the character of God. Those who reject the witness of Jesus, the Bible, and the church, those who reject the prompting of the Spirit are essentially making God out to be a liar. They're rejecting the truth. Verse 11, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He's about to make a point in verse 12 that is very dogmatic. It is very straightforward, but this is what he's been leading up to in verse 12. Whoever has the son, the son that he's been describing, whoever has Jesus has life, And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. In other words, the only way to God, the Father, is through Jesus Christ. At our church on the mantle, we have a beautiful mantle. And on the carving over the fireplace, it says, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Only through Jesus can we have access to the Father. The last verse we'll look at is verse 13. And we've quoted this verse in almost every message so far in the series because, again, it's John's main point. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So he's writing to believers, those of us who would point to Jesus as our Savior, 
so that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to us and says, God wants you to know that you know that you know you are saved. God doesn't want us to live the life that, unfortunately, some of our Muslim friends live, where they're, they won't know that Allah receives them until they step into the next life. I find that teaching also in some forms of Christianity, where there are Christians who live their entire lives not knowing for sure that they have a salvation that can be lost. And so this is super important to Jesus. I believe it's super important because when you, when you love somebody unconditionally, you want them to know it. The people in my life that I love more than anyone else, I want them to know it, and I try to tell them as often as I can. But another reason that God wants us to have security is because the only way we can ever really develop true love for God is in a secure environment. Real love only grows in the soil of security. When you make someone behave by threatening them, you might coerce their behavior, but you don't captivate their heart. Now, Sarah and I have three children, three beautiful children. We have Katie, Riley, and Caden. Katie's 18, heading off to Marshall University this fall. We've got Riley, who's a freshman, about to be a sophomore. And then we have Caden, who's nine, uh, my little golf buddy. So our three children, even though they're the two older ones are hardly children anymore, I love coming home from a trip, maybe bringing them a present, bringing them a gift, especially when they were little, but I'll do it as long as they're still in the house. What if I was about to go on a business trip and I told my three children, you know, um, I'm not sure if I'll be back or not. I might be back, but I might not. I might bring you a gift, but I might not. I don't know. I'm not even sure if you're my family, where is my family, what is truth? And what if I left them with the uncertainty that I may or may not be back? Or what if I told them this, you better behave, you better be good while I'm gone, or I might not come back. You see, the, all of that creates intense insecurity. It would not produce love and loyalty. It might produce a little fear-based obedience, but it's only a matter of time until fear-based obedience turn, turns into father-loathing rebellion. If I don't want my, my own children feeling like orphans, would God, who is the best father of all, want his kids fearing that they might be orphans? You see, the gospel creates security. The gospel creates assurance, which brings us back to our big idea, the whole big idea of this message. We can be sure of our salvation if we're still trusting Jesus. John is saying, you don't have to look back 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and wonder, did I pray the right words? Did I have enough emotion when I came to Jesus? Did I have the right feeling? Did I get zapped from heaven? Did I walk the aisle at the right time? Did I do whatever tradition your church does? God doesn't want you pondering, spending your life wondering if you did enough. Instead, God wants you spending your life continually trusting in Jesus. That's how you can have assurance. When somebody tells me, hey, I'm not really struggling with assurance, my first question to them is not, 
tell me about what happened in the past when you made a decision for Jesus. As real and as accurate as that may be. My first question is, in whom are you trusting for your salvation right now? That's what really matters. Because you see, our emotions, even our experiences can play tricks on us. I think I was saved as a child. I remember with my mom bowing and asking Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I remember that moment. I was little. But I, when I was 10, I went off to church camp. And for the first time, the speaker made the gospel just come alive in such a way as my mind is waking up to abstract thoughts as a 10 or 11-year-old boy. And I remembered really wondering if, if I'm not a genuine believer, I want to be a genuine believer now. And so I would often say that I got assurance of my salvation at age 10 or 11. But as I got older, I had more and more of those experiences. I didn't tell anybody, but I often doubted my salvation. If there's a, an award in the Guinness Book of World Records for asking Jesus into my heart, for asking Jesus to save me, I would win that award. I'd win first place. Because I, it seemed like almost daily, definitely weekly, Lord, if I'm not saved, please make me a Christian. Because I didn't have this idea of assurance, it was based on the promises of God, whereas I was looking at my experiences. Here's what I'd like you to do. There's three things I want to encourage you to do. Number one, let me encourage you, trust Jesus to save you today. Trust Jesus to save you today. You see, Jesus came not only to, to live the perfect life and die the death that you and I could never pay, but Jesus came also to rise again from the grave. He ascended back into heaven, and he still says today, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. It was just a, a week or two ago, we had a gentleman here in our services who was a, as a veteran, and, and a Vietnam veteran, and this gentleman, after the service, approached me about putting his faith in Jesus Christ and being baptized. And last Sunday, we baptized him in a swimming pool. It was a beautiful, beautiful moment that we got on camera and filmed for our church to see soon and hopefully for you to see soon, along with so many others who were baptized. You see, he wanted to go public with his faith. His faith was not in his baptism. His faith was in Jesus. And he wanted to declare it to everybody he could find. I want to encourage you, if you've not yet put your faith in Christ, trust Jesus to save you. But secondly, if you are a believer, trust Jesus to transform you. Trust him to save you today if you're not saved, but trust him to transform you every single day. I'll ask you a question only really you can answer. Has the pandemic taught you anything about yourself that has surprised you? Has the pandemic shown you anything about your heart that, that surprises you? Boy, it sure has me. Today in our discipleship group, our, our men, we, we sat around and we shared, after being together for almost a year, we shared about some things that the pandemic had brought out in our hearts. It's not the pandemic's fault, but it was that we had these, this, this sin, these attitudes in our own hearts and, and these unbiblical ways of thinking that through the pressure 
and the, the melting pot of the pandemic, it, it brought it out. And so I was reminded today that I still need Jesus by faith to transform me every single day. And the fact that I'm trusting Jesus to transform me actually gives me assurance of my salvation. You see, that's what Galatians 2.20 is teaching. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in other words, in this humanity, I, Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What are you wrestling with? What are you struggling with? What habit are you trying to overcome? What hang up, what, what hurt can you not get past? I wanna ask you this question. If Jesus can save you from hell, what is there that he cannot save you from? Trust him, believe him. And the fact that you lean on Christ every day for your transformation is another evidence that you belong to Christ. And then lastly, let me encourage you, trust Jesus to restore you on that great day. Trust him to save you today if you're not a believer. Trust him to transform you every day. Keep walking by faith. The just shall live by faith. But let's remember, no matter how hard life gets, trust Jesus to restore you on that great day. In other words, there is a great day coming. The book of Revelation says, Behold, I will make all things new. Jesus is going to make a new heaven and a new earth and give you a new body. There is a new day coming. This was the promise of the Old Testament that the kingdom of God was going to come. The city of God was going to be a reality one day on this earth. Abraham looked for the city of God. We see it in the book of Revelation described in words that John can hardly pen. And so I would ask you, when the day is hard, when the nights are long, remember to trust Jesus that one day, he is going to make all things right. You're grieving, it's only for a season. Your loss isn't forever. Your pain one day will be obliterated. I love the words of the song. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes would see when your face is before me. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for your Jesus or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak it all? When that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun, I can only imagine when all I will do is forever worship you. I can only imagine. Trust Jesus to save you today. If you're a believer, trust Jesus to transform you every day. And trust Jesus to restore you on that great day. You say, Matt, why? Why is it so important that I continually trust Jesus? Because that's what our whole message has, the message of 1 John has been about, about assurance. We have assurance because we continue to believe. We can be sure of our salvation if we're still trusting Jesus. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person 
for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.